The Leaderpreneur Show, episode 41, Leading Through the Generations, Generation X. Let's go. Welcome back, my friends, to The Leaderpreneur Show the podcast for leaders to deepen their knowledge while exploring an entrepreneurial journey of their own. I'm your host, Stephen Faust, and I'd like to personally thank you today for taking the time to join us for some leadership discussion and learn how we are operating our online businesses behind the scenes. If you like the show, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by going to leaderpreneurshow.com and smashing that subscribe button. And we'd be honored to have you as a regular listener. Today, as always, I'm joined by my great friend, my co-host. He's Michael Tanner. Michael Tanner, how are you doing this week, my friend? Stephen, man, I am awesome. How about yourself? Oh, I'm uh, loving life. And can't complain. I get to go to work every day in the middle of this uh, pandemic and, yeah. you know, feeling pretty good about things. I, I can't. You were just telling me before we recorded that, you know, if you do complain, nobody listens anyway. Yeah, I just stopped a long time <laughs> back because nobody nobody listens anyway. Um, but uh, but no, I'm, I'm honestly doing really great tonight. I'm excited yeah. because I feel like maybe for a change uh, here on our podcast, we're going to talk about something I know a little bit about. Right. Um, we're going to talk about our generation. And I think I know a little bit about our generation. Some of these others, maybe not so much, but this one, I can nail it, I think. I think I agree. Well, I know I agree because this is the, the life we've lived since we can remember uh, mm -hmm. life, <laughs> probably, right? We, right we've right. been in this, this uh, you know, cat out of the bag here, this Generation X lifestyle. And it's interesting as as I've done a little bit of research on Gen X, and I know you've looked at it, and then we think about the ways that we've lived our lives and some of the nuances, it's interesting. It's interesting to kind of put those things together and and say, you know what, yeah, it's pretty close to what we feel, and but there are some yep, differences yep. too. But it's good. I think I'm looking forward to unpacking this and and having a great discussion today. Yeah, I um, I think it's Dave Ramsey that says this. He says something along the lines of. I'm an expert in my own opinion. And with these other um, generations, then, you know, the best I can share with you is my opinion on, on the best practices and leading these other generations. Uh, but to the point you were making, when I do any kind of research or any kind of reading about Gen X, I read through those things and I think, man, these guys have read my mail. They, you know, they, they really nailed me here. Uh, so, yeah, I, th I think uh, you and I can talk with a, a fair amount of wisdom today about the Gen X um, crew and, and how do you, how do you lead folks in our generation? That's what we're going to talk about. How's it sound? That sounds, sounds great. There's, there's leading people that are Gen Xers and there's being a Gen Xer. So it's interesting to unpack it from both, both sides of the fence here. Let's do it. Yeah. So let's, first of all, let's define it. Uh, I know last week, I think we defined all the four generations that we're going to be talking about in this series, but first of all, let's, let's define the Gen X generation. So this is, um, born between 1965 and 1979. Uh, and so uh, according to some stats that I found, there's 82 million of us Gen X folks here in the United States. 
Um, but I, I think having said that, and you and I were talking about this before we hit record, Stephen, I think having said that, we we have to be really careful with defining these boundaries, right? 1965 to 1979, uh, because those aren't hard and fast boundaries. And I think, you know, if you do a, a an online search on Google or whatever, you may find other websites that have slightly different boundaries of Gen X. And so, you know, don't necessarily put yourself or put someone that you're leading in one of these buckets, especially if they happen to be born around one of these boundaries. But you and I were talking about, I think we both have some characteristics of the boomers in us as well. And so I think that's important to recognize. Yeah, we're talking about Gen X, 1965 to 1979, but don't necessarily put anyone in a, in a hard box like that and just assume, okay, because they were born in 1978, they're a Gen Xer and therefore, right? It, it's, uh, it's not a hard and fast rule. Uh, someone born in 1978 probably has a lot of Gen Y or millennial type characteristics in them as well. So, so that's the first thing to note. So let's talk about, uh, and again, I think you and I can definitely talk about this in the sense of what are we looking for, right? What do we like to see in leadership? And so the first thing I think I would share with you is that for me personally, I know this is probably one of the first characteristics that I look for, for a, in a leader. And that is, I want my leadership to be doers. I, I want them to be willing to get their hands dirty, to be willing to get into the trenches, you know, with me and, and with the others. Now, I'm not looking for leaders to do for me. Please understand me there. I'm not looking for someone to do for me. But I definitely want leaders that are willing to, you know, again, get in there, get their hands dirty, uh, do the work with us, especially when it's necessary. And I think part of the reason that I'm, I'm so drawn to that kind of leadership is I think because I'm, I'm so averse to the opposite of that, right? This idea of a leader sitting in their high castle and, and pointing the minions to go and do this and go and do that while I sit up here in my high castle and you go do I'm just, I, that's, that's such a put off to me, I think, that I then look for where, who, who are those leaders that are willing to kind of really get in here and, and do the work with the team that they're leading. So that's, that's something I look for and enjoy when my leaders are that, uh, you know, doers like that. What about you? What do you think there? Yeah, I agree with the, with the doer thought process for sure. You know, I, I look at, I look at this range of of Gen Xers being 65 to 79. You know, I, and I was telling you, I saw, I saw one website that even said it went to 84 and I, I'm, I haven't seen that one before. So that seems a little, a little right. on the extreme there, but I know I was born in 1967. So I know that I'm an early kind of Gen Xer. So I tend to have a few baby boomer characteristics to me where you know, if you point me to a wall, uh, now I might ask, why do you want me to go through the wall and how thick it's the wall? But most likely I'm going to try to bust my way through the wall like a baby boomer might. But I tend to skew a little more early Gen X, late baby boomer mentality. But the doer is so right on point also because I want to be in the middle of the action. I want to uh, help people see the value in things. I want to understand that the work that's being done in the organization 
is important and it matters and it it makes sense and people understand it. And I don't want to sit in an office and just, you know, lob those proverbial, uh, you know, instructions out and just hope that it gets done. There's this, there's this, you know, thought that, that uh, things just happen if you just put it out there and you, and you just let it happen. The baby boomer is good for that because they know if they get an instruction heaved over the, the fence, they're going to go get it done. We, you and I, we, we are driven people and leaders, but we've got to be more involved. We've got to have our hands in it. We've got to recognize that the things we're doing really make sense and matter. And I think that's one of the differences is we don't take things on blind faith right. that they get done. We we look at it and say, how do we get in the middle of this and add value and make sure that there's clarity and that we can be involved with the team and accomplish what it is we're set out to accomplish. So when you're leading people that are like us, the way we think, you have to recognize that that's a characteristic that they likely have as well. And, and you can you can look at someone and know, are they a more of a of a middle middle Gen Xer? Are they a late Gen Xer? Are they an early Gen Xer? You can kind of tell by the way that they think, act, and operate and communicate kind of where they fall on that. And then you can tailor how you engage them and get in, get involved in the things that the organization is doing with them to make sure that, to make sure that um, uh, the things matter. And it's not just do it because I said do it. Here's what we're going to do. Here are the reasons. Here are the benefits. That's the difference in the way I look at it. Yeah, you know, such good points and, and even great segue into, you know, my second point here. But I, I think last week, I'm pretty sure I shared the the story of uh, sometimes I will be talking to my mom, who who is definitely a boomer, and she will have done something at home. And I will ask her, well, mom, why, why were you doing that? And she'll just say, well, because it needed to be done. Right. And so for those boomers, when you put work in front of them, because it needed to get done, needs to get done, that's that's reason enough. They're just going to go and, and do it. And to the point you were making, Gen X, for us, that blind faith, if you will, that just, okay, it just needs to get done, go do it. Uh, we're not as influenced by that, certainly, as the boomers were. And and that leads to my second point. And, and this is so true of me, and I think other Gen X folks as well, where we are much more influenced by evidence than we are influenced by other attributes of leadership, maybe like authority or even, you know, policy, you know, well, we do this because that's the policy or that's the way we've always done it. Or, you know, some kind of bureaucracy or, or like I said, even, even some authority, you know, so-and-so said we have to do this and we have to do it this way. Well, our generation is much more influenced by evidence that that's the right thing to do or that that's the best way to do it or that by doing that, we're going to then win, right? And so when you can take a Gen X guy and you can say, all right, let's go try this. And then you can demonstrate, you can show evidence that what you're doing is, is gaining a win, right? Whatever your goal is, what you're doing, you can show the evidence that it's moving towards that goal. You're, you're winning, you're achieving your goal. When you can share that evidence with a Gen X person, 
that's going to influence them much more than, as I said, any kind of policy or, or any kind of just authoritative figure saying, go do this um, and, and so forth. So it, when you're leading a Gen X group, be sure you're, you're measuring progress. Be sure you're in, and I would say in a very objective way also, be sure you're, you're measuring the evidence that you can then go and show to this Gen X group, hey, look, this is working. Let's do more of this, right? And so uh, evidence-based influence is big for a Gen X group. So true, so true. I feel the same exact way about evidence. And when I think about Gen Xers versus the baby boomers, for example, or the millennials, the the baby boomers had a, a, a more conservative approach, right? They came out of World War II. They're about about guarding resources, about, about material things matter more because they, were, they grew up in a time where there were, where there were less of them. So they are naturally skewed towards recognizing the value in, in things differently. Not that there's not value in all the generations, but just it's a different, slightly different mindset and an approach versus I view Gen X and I view myself this way is that I'm willing and I believe that Generation X folks are willing to take risk. We are different in that regard where more conservative tending baby boomers, Gen X more willing to take the risk. But to your point, it's not blind risk. It's not just risk for the sake of risk's sake. It's it's risk based on uh, logic. It's risk based on results and evidence and proof. And that's why we like scorecards, right? We love scorecards. Oh, I love those scorecards. Is it green? Is it red? Are we going the right direction? I love those project uh, plans and those updates. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, because I like to see that the decisions that I make and that people that think similarly to I do on the team, they want to take the risk, but they want to understand that it's a measured risk. It comes with some outcomes and some expectation. And then how do we talk about, understand, and validate that we're getting that traction? And then we're all about risk like that. But I can't do that blindly as a, as a leader. I have to have something tangible that I can look at and decide whether I need to make course corrections or not. I just can't let things go for a long period of time and not see progress or we need to make a course correction. And I think Gen Xers are willing to make those course corrections, right? But we can't do that without evidence, without some validation that the decisions and and projects and things we're working uh, are in fact working or they're not working. And then we take, in in my view, pretty decisive action to change course also. So um, that, that's my point of view on it. And um, I couldn't agree more that that evidence is critical for Gen Xers. Yeah, I think you, you bring up a really good point in, you know, that acceptance of risk. And that is a, a perfect scenario where you can see the difference between a boomer and a Gen X. Because, yes, I agree with you that the, the Gen X person is much more willing to accept more risk. But to the point you're you're making it's not a reckless or just willy nilly, let's go take some risk. It's a measured risk taking and it's measured based on, well, show me some evidence, right? So, you know, maybe we're going to go try something. Well, we don't 
Gen X folks are, are, are not willing to try something for six months and then raise your head up and say, oh, is this working? No, no, no. We want to try something, but we want to quickly look at it and say, is this working? Is there evidence this is working? And if so, we'll proceed on, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll charge harder and, and so forth. Uh, so yeah, that's a perfect example. Risk acceptance is a perfect example to see the difference there of that evidence-based willingness to, to accept risk. So, um, so here's, here's another one. Here's a third point that I have. And, and I think our generation, I think generation X is kind of the first generation where uh, leadership communication, where the concept of communicating why or purpose became so important. You know, as, as I was, we were talking about earlier, uh, for the baby boomers, the fact that the work needed to be done was reason enough. Just go do it. I think for our generation here was kind of the first generation where we started to question why. Why, are, why do we need to do that? Why is that important? that we, that we do this, right? Why is it so important that we get this project done on this date? Or why is it so, you know, wh why do you feel like that if we produce this product, it'll solve our, our customer's problem? Well, right. They, I think we probably became the first generation to just hammer leadership with why, 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 why? Um, and so I think, you know, when you're leading Gen X folk, then you got to recognize that you've got to be the cooperative leader that's willing to communicate, especially the purpose, the mission, and the reason, you know, the, the why you're, you're making a decision that you've made or that you are, you know, going to take some, some steps, you know, next steps that you've decided to take or, or why you've settled on this particular strategy for solving the problem that you're facing, right? You, you've got to be willing for Gen X, uh, the Gen X generation to, answer that question. Why, why you made that decision, why you're going that path, whatever. Uh, you got to be willing to talk about why. Yeah. The, the magical question of why baby boomers, just give me the instruction. Tell me the hill I'll climb it. I'll bust through the wall. We kind of skew towards the, yeah, you know, us early gen Xers. Yeah. We'll go bust through that wall, but tell me, give me a little, give me a little rationale here. Right. Tell, yeah. tell me what, tell me, yeah, thick is the wall. How big is, how big, how tall is the wall? But I'll go do it. Whereas I think a millennial will, they might ask why, but they're going to also want to know that that makes them feel good also, yep. right? It's just a little bit different. I don't necessarily have to, uh, as a Gen Xer, or as people on my team who are like that, we don't have to necessarily agree with it all, but we need to at least understand it. So we know that the actions we take are not digging a ditch and filling a ditch and digging a ditch and filling a ditch. It has no purpose or benefit in life. Boomer, I'll dig a ditch and fill a ditch because it's work that somebody said needs to be done. So we're going to go right. do that. So right. we're just a little bit different in that regard. And it's that it's the curiosity factor. It's the it's the desire to know that the work we do matters and is meaningful. And that's something as a, as a Gen Xer, I always look at as I, I want to know why, what, you know, why, why are we doing that with this customer versus that with that customer? And it's just this insatiable intellectual curiosity that I think we have as a generation that, that makes us unique in regard to the other generations. It's not saying that the others don't have it, but when you just think 
about how we're different. I think we tend to ask why a couple more times and really want to understand it versus uh, other generations who might approach that question just from a different perspective. So I think that's very important. Uh, the why is is one of the most important things to me is I hate, yeah. I hate, that's probably not the right word. I dislike doing work that I don't feel contributes to something of greater good, right? Whether that's advancing the cause of a project, of a team member, of a development of someone, a financial, a project. I have to know that work I do matters. And there are a lot of things I don't agree with uh, that happen at work, but that doesn't mean I, I uh, approach it with any less commitment to get it done because I understand why. And it's, I always tell people, hey, it, it, this isn't Faust uh, Incorporated here. This is another company, right? Yeah. This is another company. I, I'm a steward for this company. And to do that, I treat it like my own money. And to do that, I need to know why, because it is so critical to be able to treat that company like it as if it was my own. So it's the way I, that's the way I approach it. Yeah, no, it's, and I see so oftentimes our generation and even the other generations, the millennials and so forth, this, by asking this question, why a lot of times it's viewed almost as if it's a belligerence, right? It's a, Oh, well, you're just questioning everything. And, 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 and especially for us, Gen X, uh, it's not, it's not at all belligerent and it's not at all an, an unwillingness to then go and do the work, you know, to, to align uh, and, and agree to go and do the work and so forth. But maybe it's, it's, it's actually maybe tied more strongly to the previous point that we were making about, you know, being influenced by evidence. So, you know, the leadership makes a decision that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to adopt this certain business strategy. Well, okay. Why did you select that business strategy? Just, just give me some kind of reasoning. Give me some kind of logic. Give me some type of evidence that suggests that that's the best approach for us to go. That's the best a strategy for us, you know, to go down. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for, uh, you know, to grandstand and say, no, you've made a bad decision. That's wrong. I just want to understand the the logic, the reasoning, and I want to be able to see that rather quickly, we're going to have some evidence that yes, this is the right strategy. So, you know, it's important to recognize it's not belligerence and it's not some kind of defiance or, or even to, you know, attempt to point that someone's made a bad decision or, or something like that. It's really just a, that, that need for evidence that yes, this is the right way to go. Let's go do it. Yeah, it, and it's so true. And a couple bonus things here I was just thinking of as as we were unpacking this this time this time frame was uh and for a lot of us that were born from I don't know, 65 to 75, 77 something like that. We grew up in the 80s, right? So yep. one of the benefits of being a Gen Xer is we grew up in the 80s, man. That was that was a cool era in in the world right it was so especially the music oh my gosh and i i uh my kids my kids are i don't even they're gen they're they're zoomers that's what they call themselves (laughs) they're zoomers and they love 80s music right it's it's kind of you know they love queen and they love they love all this stuff and we grew up in this really really transformative decade that 
that was, uh, you know, from a pop culture standpoint, from a politics, from, you know, all the things it, that were going on in the 80s, the big hair, right? the hair oh, bands, oh, yeah. uh, just all yeah. kind of stuff in the 80s. And the, the, the rise and transformation of technology that started to really happen then. And Generation yes. Xers are really, what I found is, have really adapted well to technology. They were this first generation to go from, basically, it, it was a calculator powered, that put the first people on the moon, basically, and your wrist watch has more power to this yes. transformative yes. period where, you know, the, the personal computers were coming out. I know you're a Mac guy, you know, Apple 1984. I get it. I get it. Yeah. 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 But, but well, IBM actually, yeah. Uh, IBM PC, uh, I think, uh, what was that? 81. I think it was that, that yeah. it became pretty mainstream. Yeah. yeah. But one of the things I notice about generation X folks is, and like myself and yourself, we've adapted well to technology. We didn't grow up with the technology from an early young age that just wasn't there, but we've, we've been in this period of time where we were heavily influenced by the rise of technology and were forced to, and quite well adapted to technology. I find myself to be a, a tech technological kind of nerd or a geek. You're a nerd. I'm a geek. Yep. That's the difference. Yep. Yep. Uh, it, yeah, but but we geek. Yeah, yeah, I am too. We figured it out, right? Millennials grow up with that stuff kind of, you know, right in the crib with them. They have all that stuff. They didn't even know yeah. what a smartphone, you know, not having one, what that meant. Well, you know, yes. we had to adapt to nothing, to pagers, to cell phones, to, to, you know, basically the whole gamut. And I think generation X folks tend to be very savvy when it comes to uh, adapting to different technologies, because we've been forced to do that in these very formative years in, in the way society has transformed. So I think that's a, a strength of ours. And it's something that, you know, we embrace, we embrace learning those technologies and we, we don't take it for granted because we've seen life on both sides with and without yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that speaks well to, um, we talked about acceptance of risk and, and maybe there's another dynamic here that I believe applies well to Gen X and that is acceptance of change. And, you know, you bring up a pretty good point that it's it's probably because we've seen so much change, you know, in technology and things like that, um, where some of the other two generations, they don't ever remember not having Internet or, or, or you know, I, I remember when when business changed with with the fax machine. Right. I remember when I was in the Marine Corps, I was recruiting for a while. And when you needed to take when you needed to get paperwork down to the, to the MEP center. Do you know how you got it there? Good old facts. You sent, no, no, no. You sent the junior Marine. Oh, he jumped in the car and he drove the hour down to Atlanta <laughs> to get the documents there. The, right? the distribution and, envelopes, you know? Yes. Yes. And then I remember fax machines came along and no one had to jump in the car anymore. Boom. You just sent it down. Right. But then you had and those faxes that had the rolled up paper and the, and right, the, right. and the waxy and the film yes. and on it. And oh yeah. yeah. You couldn't read it half the time. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, so yeah, we, we, we lived through changes like that, that, that completely changed how we did life. Right. I, I remember when email came about and so forth. Right. So, so I think that speaks well to even in the midst of uh, daily work and all that, we're more accepting of change. And it's probably because, you know, 
we lived through all of those other changes. Yeah, I remember the late 80s. I think this was in 88 or 89. I remember buying a typewriter off of QVC back in the day, right? QVC. Bought this right. typewriter that, um, it was a typewriter, but it would remember, it would have a little display, a one-line display on it, but it looked like a regular old-fashioned typewriter you'd see in a museum today. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you could type a line, and if you made a mistake, you could correct it before you, you know, it was before kind of, typed it. It, was, it was not even a word processor, right? It was before right, the word right. processor. And I just remember like being blown away going, telling people, I don't know how the world can advance beyond this. I just don't see yeah. it. This is this yeah. absolute, yeah. You, I, you being in the Marine Corps and I was in the army, but having to write, uh, uh, I used to have to do daily reports and these things. I used to use those onion skins. I don't know if oh, you remember yeah. those onion skins. Yes. Yes. You have this, you have this form. And you staple to the form uh, like seven, eight copies of these real thin yellow or green onion skins with carbon paper in between them. And you'd feed them down into your IBM Selectric 3 typewriter, <laughs> right? Uh, and then, you know what we did, though, as Generation X folks in the, in, the, in the 80s? We learned to not make a lot of mistakes when we typed. That's right. Yes. Right? Slow down. And you know, there was, right the first there was yes. no correction. I mean, those onion skins, you know. They had your errors on them. And if you had too many, you couldn't read it. So you yeah. learn to be to be prepared. You learn to be aware. You learn to not make as many mistakes. And because the alternative was to go through extreme pain because the technology wasn't quite advanced enough exactly. for, yes. for us to figure that out. Now, today, it's just acceptable to make all these mistakes because you just correct them. Nobody ever know. Well, listen, my kids don't ever remember a day before autocorrect. <laughs> so, so it just corrects it for them as they right? do it. Yeah. 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 You know, our, in our day, autocorrect was that little bottle of white out. That's correct. That you had to take out and you actually had to paint over the, That's the, right. the misspelled word or the scotch you know, tape. You'd off. stick down and have to backspace and hit the same letter again of the yeah, scotch tape. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but you, you really uh, learn to not make mistakes. And, um, I tell you the appreciation I have for, for the age that I am. And when I grew up from what it was before the internet, before yeah. uh, all of this stuff to now having it, it's just the appreciation I think Gen Xers have is unique because of the time that we grew up in. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally. Cool. Hey, you know, uh, one more point, I think it really important. I know how we try to go after these crisp 30 minute episodes that we never actually accomplished. Yeah, but we're 29. This isn't happening today either. Yeah. It ain't happening today. <laughs> um, but there's, you brought up something earlier that I think is just super critical that we, that we talk about and point out about Gen X. And that is this, that, that in the Gen X group, I think is where we really started recognizing our own failures, but then maybe some of the failures of the boomers related to work-life balance, right? So we, we took from our parents a, a work ethic where, you know, you, you said something earlier before we hit record around, um, you know, and, and my parents were are certainly this way, still are, my mom. Um, you, you don't, no matter how sick you are, you don't skip work, right? right. Now, now here we are in the middle of the COVID pandemic and all, and, and all those rules are different right now. But, but it, it just the work ethic was there such that even when you were sick, you still went to work, right? You, you just get the work done, work, 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 work. And I think, you know, we, Gen X, in, in a lot of ways, were kind of following in those footsteps. But I think somewhere along the way, we started recognizing that 
while work ethic is awesome, right? We should all have it. We were running the risk and as we got into the Gen X generation, and maybe some of the boomers were too, but we had that uh, swing to an unhealthy, maybe it was almost to uh, uh, workaholics. We became workaholics even, but we had that swing to the the point that it was unhealthy for family, right? And, And I think for us, Gen X, this idea of work-life balance, and I don't mean measuring hours, you know, that you're at work versus hours you're with your family and things like that, but I, I just mean having a life in addition to having work to do uh, became important to us in Gen X because we started to see, I think, some of uh, the unhealthiness that it was creating in family. Yeah, it's it's so true. I'm glad you brought that up. It's I'm kind of an early Gen Xer. I, I tend to have some baby boomer characteristics. And one of those things is this, this conditioned, and I, I don't know what to call it, this conditioned behavior to that work. I'm not proud to say it, and, but I'll say it. Uh, work for a lot of years of my life was before my family. And uh, not proud of it. I don't think it's healthy. I don't recommend it. But the reality is, is growing up, I, you know, starting my professional life, work was the most important thing on my mind. I worked, I I don't know, I never understood why people would call in sick. I just, I just don't yeah. get it. I, I, I didn't understand it. And, and I struggled with that. And I used to, I would go to work sick and I would come home and work from home and I would, work till midnight. And I would do these things because I felt I had to prove something to somebody. I had to demonstrate something to somebody. And what I've learned as I've gotten older, let's say over the last, you know, five, eight, 10 years, uh, I'd say really over the last five years, if you want to be just completely honest here, if I'm being honest, I recognize that as I get older, I'm now you know 53. And, and I realize that I, I mathematically have more years behind me than I have in front of me. And um, the level of importance of things in life take on a different, different meaning. So I, I highly recommend folks out there. If, if you feel that way, if you're, if you're just hell or high water at all costs, work, 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 because you want to get to that next ladder, that step on the ladder or that next, it, it, it takes its toll. There's not, it would have to be so much money and so much of a life changer. There's no money out there that makes it worth it. And it's just not, it's not a healthy lifestyle. And my epiphany, so to speak, over the last five to eight years has been life is short. Family is important. It cost me, cost me marriage in the past. And I finally realized the importance of balance. Now you're never really balanced. You don't have eight hours at work, eight hours at sleep, eight hours. It's not, it's not about mathematical balance. It's about being present, right? It's about being present because you can be, you can be at home and thinking about work and in your office at home or at the kitchen table, not listening to anybody. It's not about that. It's about, it's about being present in the moment, listening listening to your family, attending your, your kids' events and things. And I haven't done enough of that, and I'm trying to make up for it. You never really can, but all you can do is try to get better from today forward. And uh, it's something that I think boomers uh, definitely suffered from because it was a different generation. I think Gen Xers are kind of caught in the middle here where, where 
you know, some may skew towards millennials, some may skew towards boomers, some may be in the middle, but there's this, this ethic of work, I think, that's pretty consistent with our generation that it's tough to figure out. And, and I think we're learning and we're getting better as we get older. But for all of our friends out there who are still struggling with that, stop it. Knock it off. Life's too short. Smell the roses. That's what I would say. Absolutely. You know, I think for, for our parents, for the, for the boomers and then, then it was all about kind of this need to provide, right. right? There wasn't, you know, a a boomer was not going to say no to overtime. Right. And so even though, you know, that meant unhealthy at home in some way, missing, you know, children's activities or or whatever it might be. um, But it, but it was more driven by this need to provide. And then you get into Gen X for us, opportunities started opening up for us. And so for us, that, that overwork and, and that unhealthiness around family time, it, it was all driven, at least for me, I think it was driven by ambition, right? I was all, all I was just like you, I, but I saw the opportunities out there and I said, well, I got to go get them now, right? So it was all about the ambition and, and, and that type of thing. But I'm, I'm definitely now, you know, we're, we're the older we're one of the older generations now. And I'm like you, unfortunately, it took me too long, but I've definitely recognized that I'd rather see one of my children's ball game than I had to check a box in my boss's, you know, checklist on, you know, is, is Michael doing the extra work? Right. Um, so to me, and, and I, I think it's important. We're not, again, we're not talking about you, you spent eight hours at work eight hours asleep. And then the other eight hours, you got to make, you know, make sure that you're in family time. A lot of people these days, and I, and I actually love this kind of language, but they're talking about work life integration, right? Where it's, it's all kind of together, if you will, in the sense that, that you're not trying to separate it, right? I've never believed that you can separate work and life um, because whatever happens in your life is going to affect your work and vice versa. Right. So now I I see a lot of conversation around how do we make sure that that work environment also benefits our team members in their life environment also. So, yeah, um, that's work life balance, if you will, to me these days. Yeah. And it's it's so important. So if you're out there, you got to find a little balance. Doesn't mean you have to mathematically carve it out. You just you just got to figure out a way to be present in all aspects of your life. Present at work, present at home and present um, uh, in, in any other aspect of your life. And if, if you work for a person who doesn't get that, is, is driving a nail through that with you, then go find somebody else to work for. Life is too short and you are too valuable to, to do that. And one thing I tell, and we'll transition here, but one thing I tell people that work uh, for me on the org chart at least uh, and everybody else I can I can you know, find to tell this to. But people that work for me in an org chart relationship, I I say you've got to make sure that you are balancing the different aspects of your life. I'm not expecting you to be here 12 hours a day. I'm not expect I'm expecting you to to get your work done and then make sure you go take care of your family, because if not, to your point, uh, there is there are no clear lines of separation. If your if your work is in dis- disarray, your home life's going to be in disarray. If your home life's in disarray, your work's going to be in disarray. 
I want people to come in fresh, uh, focused to, to give it all they got during the day and then go home and give it all they got at home and not try to uh, carry things back and forth as much as they can because it's not a good recipe for a long-term health uh, in the workplace. So that's, that's my final thought on that. So you ready to go behind the scenes, my friend? Yeah, let's jump see, jump behind the scenes and see what's going on in our businesses awesome. as we attempt to build those. Um, okay. So I'll jump in. I'll go yep, first. So, sure. Uh, I've talked a couple of weeks here about uh, leading into a, uh, a team trust building course uh, and kind of the marketing advertising funnel to, to lead into that. And I've done a lot of work at the top of the funnel, if you will. So Facebook ads and and just different things like that, leading into some quizzes and some free lead magnets, that kind of thing. And so now I'm, I see myself, I'm kind of in the middle of the funnel um, where I want to offer some, some deeper level content and some deeper level um, action items, quick wins for my students. But in the middle of the funnel also is where, uh, you know, sales pitches start to come in. And so one of the things that one of my primary avenues for that, that I'm going to place here in the middle of the funnel is webinars. So I'm going to host a, a few free webinars. And so I've, I've got to put together, you know, um, some ad campaigns for that and, and some advertising of that. Uh, but also one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of struggling with a little bit at the moment, and it's the, the struggle is, is twofold, if you will. Uh, one is, is just around the content, right? I, I, I want to, those individuals that are that are going to join me on the webinar, I want to give them a lot of great content. I'm not I'm not kind of afraid of am I going to give away all the secrets. I'm I'm not so much afraid of that. I want to give them a lot of great content, but one of the most important things that I want to give them is I want to give them a win, right? I, I don't want this to just be a lecture where they come to the webinar and and learn something and and they don't go away and take any kind of action or anything like that. As a part of this, I want to give them a, a good solid win, right? Go do this. You've just learned something. Now go do this and you will experience success or a win in, in your own leadership or in, in your own team building, right? And so part of my struggle at the moment is just kind of wrapping my mind around, well, what, are, what do I want that quick win to be? What, what do I want to give them to do and then go and, and get that quick win? I've got lots of those baked into the course itself. Um, and so, you know, do I just pick one of those out and give it away in the webinar? I'm, I'm not opposed to that. Or do I need to come up with something else? Right. And then the second struggle, I think right now that I'm going through with, um, or I'm facing, and this is, I'm certain this is kind of a limiting belief, but this is kind of the first point at which there's the sales pitch, right? Everything before this has been, I'm giving this to you. This is free. This is free. Uh, but now people are getting deep enough into the funnel where the sales pitch uh, comes into play. I'm not a natural salesman in, in, in any shape, form, or fashion. And so there's this anxiety, if I, I think, and, and this worry that I feel about, all right, um, I'm making that switch for a lot of my, I'll call them fans, I guess, for a lot of my fans, this is the first time that they're going to, oh, everything's been free from Michael, but now here he is, he's, he's you know, here's a sales pitch from him. And so there's that little bit of limiting belief and anxiety that I'm, how do I really want to do that in the webinar such that I feel better about what I'm doing, but also that, you know, I, I'm not the sleazy salesman on a webinar to, to all those 
uh, all those people that are very important to me that are, that are going to be there. Yeah. I, I can relate to, I'm not a natural sales person either. So I, I just, it's not something that I'm honestly comfortable with. It's, I, I still suffer, suffer limiting belief, imposter syndrome, where to me, I know the, I know certain things about these topics, but you know, why would somebody give me money for, it? I still, I know that's the wrong way to look at it. I know that. Uh, right. And I know it's imposter syndrome and I, yes, and I still suffer from it. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough nut to crack. And, you know, for you and, and for me, but being outside of the bottle that you're in, looking at it from, from an outside perspective, the, the good thing is, is that none of these folks that have come to you through your Facebook ads or through your other you know, opt-in strategies, not one of them knows that you're not a natural salesman. You know, they, they just don't unless they listen to this show. I start pitching. They'll know unless you, unless you make them listen to the behind the scenes of the leaderpreneur show episode 41, but you know, they don't know that. And I know that they don't know that. And you know that they don't know that. And and that should make it easier, but it doesn't. But I think you, you have to take that approach that uh, you focus on the value and the benefit that they're getting and not so much on our, maybe your trepidation of, of giving it. And then to your point about, and to your point about, and I've had this same struggle with content. What do I give them in the webinar? What do you, you know, what do I give them? I want to give them a quick win. I want to give them something tangible that they walk away, that they know that they, that they knew that they now know that they walked into the webinar, not knowing. And that's a discrete win. We want to give them, you want to give them so I would say you framed out your course. You already know what you want to talk about. It's going to change and oscillate and move, but you know the core elements of your course. I would, I would pick one. One of the things I might consider is pick one, and then instead of going 10 feet deep on the one that you're going to do in the course, go five feet deep on it, right? right. And that's the same struggle I'm having as well, and I'll pose a question to you, is, is I'm, I'm for my promotion points course, uh, leading them in through a three video series workshop, I'm calling it the army promotion points workshop of which there's three videos that at the end, they'll be made a sales pitch that drives them to the sales page that our intent, both of our intents is to give them enough value during that, you know, webinar, or in my case is three video series that they're going to, you know, say, wow, that's good stuff. I need more of that. How can I go? Oh, wow. You're offering a course. Let me sign up for that. That's what, that's what our goal is. Not because we're greedy people that want the money. Although we do want to start seeing different types of revenue flow into our business. We also want to help people. Right. I mean, that's important right. to, to guys like, like you and I, and the, that's the struggle is how much do I share? So for my case, I have this thing I call a promotion points map for example. And this map is in my course. And I put together kind of the slides last night for doing this first video. And I ended up with 25 slides and so much detail. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I'm just, you know, I never want to not give away right. my best right. stuff. But I'm also thinking I could, this would be an hour long too. And I don't think that's what I want. I want something that's 20 minutes maybe. Uh, so I'm thinking about taking the advice I just shared with you and saying, okay, I can cover all of this stuff uh, and spend an hour on it, unpack it A to Z. And then it kind of feels like they know everything at that point. Not really about that one slice, that one topic, or I can pair it way back 
and give them the top level view, that five foot depth view as opposed to the 10 foot depth view. And then the course is going to go the other five foot, five feet, and really unpack it at a more detailed level. But when I think about what your comment was about, I want to give them a win. So I step back and look at my situation and say, I'm going to, is getting that information in the way that I want to give it at that depth, that initial depth, a win? Is that giving them something they don't already know today? And I, to me, it's like, well, I already know that. It's kind of hard to think in that terms because I already know that stuff. But I would say, yeah, it's still a win. They're not going to get everything, but it's still, they're still going to take away something that they could print out and put on the wall. They could say, wow, I don't have to go look up eight different resources now. I have it all right here. So in that case, I think it's a win. But the, but the deeper stuff, the, yeah. the unpacking of the detail is going to be in the course. And I want to leave them feeling like, man, that was good. How do I get more? I don't want to leave them feeling that was good. I feel like I, I didn't get the next thing and I feel frustrated now. Right. So that's the struggle I have. Yeah. It's a real balance. And I'm right there with you. I mean, I just want to give it all right. I I feel like, man, I'm cheating you if I don't give it all to you. Um, And, and for me that, or at least the way I view this um, and maybe this is because this is related to the way I learn is I think with these webinars, this free content that's kind of in the middle of our funnel here, the key is to get the knowledge out there, get get sufficient level of knowledge that our our, our clients can go and do something with it, right? And then I I feel like as the coach here is the, the, the leadership here in this, we've got to be explicit with them. All right, you've just learned something. Now go do these two things. And when you do those two things, you should see this result. And, and when we can get to that point, like, so for instance, with you, it, it might be as simple as, you know, go and do these two things and you will see your promotion score go up, you know, 10 points or whatever, right? To me, that's the quick win. It, it's first teach the knowledge, but then it's coach them into now go do this. And, and, and you know, Unfortunately, we, I think you and I and, and, and others like us, we struggle from recognizing that need to be explicit to tell people to go and do these two steps. We just, we just teach all this knowledge and we stop there. We don't necessarily get into that coaching mode of, of saying to our students, now go do these things, right? Come, come back to me and tell me about the results that you got, got from doing these two things. And we get caught up in the just, you know, just dumping out all this content and this knowledge on our students. And, you know, in a lot, in a lot of ways, they're probably just kind of overwhelmed with all that and, and paralyzed, and then they do nothing. And so for me, this, at least what I'm trying to do and trying to wrap my mind around this, this webinar is give them enough information that they can then go do something explicit with it that I, that I tell them to do. And then I ought to be able to explain to them, here's the result you're going to get from doing, from taking that action. And then that is, um, you know, I think what spurs them on to want more as you're talking about, well, Michael told me to do these two things. And he said, if I do them, I'll get this result. And sure enough, I did. Well, I want to go start following the other things that he's going to tell me to do in the rest of this course. Thing, right. Yeah. Um, 
So that's the key, finding that balance of where that is, I think is, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. And that's a struggle. And, and if I had a lot of experience doing it, I'd probably know by now, but I don't. And so I listen to others that have, and I take all these different points of view. And if you listen to enough people on enough occasions, you're going to find the exact opposite recommendations (laughs) along the line, right? Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do, you know, so you could drive yourself a a, a bit crazy by, Uh, overthinking it. But one of the things that I hear a lot that's pretty consistent from people that I follow is that don't make your webinar or in my case, my value video, three workshop video series, don't make it about just selling, right? It's about teaching. It's about teaching. I think a lot of people forget that where they go in, they may show you something, they may, you know, want to, you know, quote unquote, teach you something, but it's all done around this kind of, you know, you know, putting you into this sales cycle that it all kind of is geared towards that versus I think you and I showing up as here, here's something that, that it's important that would add a lot of value. I'm going to teach you. I'm not going to talk about selling you anything. I'm not going to talk about selling or offering anything until my last video and the last part of it. Right. But the first two are about just sharing knowledge and helping people. And there's going to be a lot more folks out there that aren't going to buy from us. Our 95, 98% of people aren't ever going to do anything except consume free stuff. And that's okay. It's, they're going to get value and that's great. It's really the 2%, 3%, 1%, 5% that are going to buy our products and services. And those are the people that are going to see the value at that next level. And, and the 95 that don't, that's cool. We could be friends, enjoy the free content. Everybody wins, right? Exactly. I think yeah, that's I important mean, to look at. I'm, I'm certainly not going to stop serving that 95. Exactly. That 95%. I still got other things, other content. It'll certainly be coming, right? Um, but if you want to fast track, right, this, this, you know, your army promotion in your case, or or building team trust in my case, if you want to fast track that, then we've got the resources for you to do so. Yeah, it's good stuff. I think you and I are in in similar spaces with this. And that's why I love this relationship that we have. We're we're just helping each other out. And I'm I'm really, you know, my email list is slowing up on me. I've only gotten an average of one per day this last week. And uh, I'm I'm grateful for that. But it's, slowed up from the two to four a day. And uh, so I'm scratching my head and fighting the urge to go tweak the ads and do, and just start blowing everything up. And I'm just not doing it. Cause I know that's probably not a good recipe. So right, right. Uh, just things that happen, but it's good stuff. My friend, great conversation. You want to take us to the house? Yes. Yeah, so let's wrap it up. So uh, for folks like Steven and I, old geezers like Steven and I, the Gen X guys, uh, look, look, just just be a doer, you know, get out there, get get your hands dirty with them, lead them by participating with them, influence them with uh, with evidence, be willing to get into reasons and, you know, communicating why and just recognize work life. It's a big deal uh, to the Gen X folks. Uh, for our podcast here, head over to leaderpreneurshow.com, leaderpreneurshow.com. You can find the show notes. This is episode number 41. Episode number 42, we're going to talk about leading millennials. So you don't want to miss that leading millennials next week. And then for everything that is Stephen Faust and all he's doing in his leadership learning, uh, head over to stephenfaust.com. And then as always, you can find everything I'm doing at Credible Leaders 
Millennialmindset.com. Until Stephen and I talk to you next week about leading millennials, be blessed and lead well. <laughs>